Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, April 11th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. Today is opening day at Fenway Park. Of course, you know the Red Sox have already begun their regular season, but they began it last week. Uh, in Cleveland, then they went to Toronto this past weekend, and now they come home for the Fenway opener this afternoon. First pitch at 2.05. It's going to be David Price versus Giovanni Gallardo as the Baltimore Orioles are in town. The Orioles, it should be noted, the only undefeated team in baseball to this point. It's been kind of a wacky beginning to the Major League Baseball season, not just here locally with this Red Sox team, but around the major leagues with some bad weather early on. Uh, you got some postponements. What, the Sunday night baseball game last night was postponed. And you also have some crazy stories with some young kids like the rookie from Colorado, Trevor Story, who continues to hit home runs. I didn't even know who this kid was coming into the season. Trevor Story, rookie for the Colorado Rockies, seven home runs in his first six games. I mean, that can't be a fluke, right? Obviously, the kid has supreme talent. I just, I, I never expected something like this, mainly because I I didn't even know who the kid was until we heard about him last week, crushing home runs. And he has not slowed down. Seven home runs in his first six games. I will take a look back at the Red Sox weekend that was in Toronto. The Sox went two of three in Toronto. It was kind of a wacky weekend in Toronto, especially with the Red Sox pitching. I'll talk about that, uh, but David Price on the mound today for opening day at Fenway, so it's always a great day here in the city of Boston when you have opening day at Fenway, and uh, it's. I have to look back. What I'm going to do today, though, to begin the show is is really look back at the weekend. I'll, again, I'll get to the Red Sox taking two of three in Toronto. Uh, I'll get to the Celtics losing in Atlanta Saturday night with that three seed on the line. The Seas have two more games left in the regular season. I'll tell you about Golden State. Yeah, they tied the Bulls record last night with 72 wins. Uh, Given the Spurs their first loss at home on the season, beating San Antonio in San Antonio. I'll get to some of that. And also my reaction to what happened yesterday at Augusta in the Masters. Jordan Spieth, an absolute meltdown on the 12th hole, and Danny Willett is the winner of the Masters, gets the green jacket at 5-under. I'll react to that, but I got to begin with what I think is the biggest local story, not the biggest national story. The biggest national story is what happened yesterday at Augusta. I'll, I'll, but again, I told you, I'm going to get to that. The biggest local story, even though it's opening day, the biggest local story is what's going on with the Boston Bruins. Because... Over the weekend, the Bruins were officially eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, which means they will not be going to the postseason for the second straight year. Now, I don't know if you listen to me both on this podcast and on my weekend radio show. I'm not sure if you do. But if you listen to me on my weekend radio show on Saturday on WEI, I was on after the Red Sox game and then... I was on until like 7.30, 8 o'clock. A good three and a half, four hours of hockey talk. That's what we did. We did all hockey talk because the Bruins were playing Saturday afternoon. They were hosting the Ottawa Senators. And because the Detroit Red Wings lost to the New York Rangers for the Bruins in that game at home against Ottawa, their final regular season game, it was a win and you get in. You win that game. You're in the tournament. You're in the playoffs. And from what we saw from the Bruins the previous game, which was a must-win game against the Detroit Red Wings at home, the Bruins are great in that one. They showed up, but they did not show up defensively on Saturday afternoon against the team they should have beat in the Ottawa Senators. And you got drama to go along with it because Tuka Rask, the Bruins' number one goalie, was not able to play in this game because of an illness. He was out there for warm-ups. 
If you watched the video of him in warm-ups, it did not look very good. And, I mean, it, ultimately, it's just not a good look for your star goalie, your number one goalie, to be missing what is essentially a Game 7 playoff game because of an illness in which they're calling a stomach bug. He was sick. Uh, you know, the, and so Gustafson played. I, I guess at first when I heard this, like I'm on Twitter Saturday afternoon at about 12 o'clock noon because what, puck dropped at 12.30, right? A little after 12.30. When you see the tweets coming out that Gustafson was going to be, looked like the goalie start in this game, you have major questions and, and major concerns because you want to get net. And I, I get it. It's not a good look, but you get all these crazy hot takes from people that are going to crush a guy for being sick. And I, I don't know. I just have a tough time doing it. I have a tough time doing it especially with a guy at that position. Like, you're the goalie. You're being asked to stand in that net and stop pucks all game long. If you're not feeling good at all, if you're sick as a dog and and you can't be a, a good goaltender in this game, then you got to make a decision. You got to go with your backup. It's not the ideal situation. It's unfortunate. It's aggravating. It's frustrating. I understand all of that because I feel the same emotions as you with this situation. But as as much heat now as Tuka Rask has taken over the weekend, is taken right now, and is going to continue to take. When I when I think of when I think back at this game, I've I said it on Saturday on WEI all day as people called in and try to crush Tuka. I said, look. The way the Bruins' defense played in that game, you could have brought Marty Brodeur back in his prime and put him in net for the Bruins, and the Bruins would have still lost that game. You could have put in Patrick Roy. I mean, you could have named him. Name some of the great goalies that have played in this league in their prime. You could have put him in net for the Bruins, and the Bruins were not winning that game. You're not winning that game. John Michael Lyles crashes into Gustafson, the Bruins goalie, for the, 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 for the first goal. I, don't, I still don't know what he's doing. Then you got Kevin Miller, Adam McQuaid, you know, they just throw the puck up the half wall, panic, try to get it out instead of making a clean pass, a clean play. They can't make a clean pass. They can't make a clean play from below their own goal line. It's a major issue. The defensemen for the Bruins, they blew it for this team all season long, and it continued on Saturday in the final regular season game, and the Bruins lost 6-1 to the Senators. Gustafson was in net. Tuka's taking heat, but the way I look at it is, even if Tuka played in that game, even if he was 100% playing in that game, I don't think the Bruins would have won. I really don't. But to the illness part of it, I mean, if a guy's sick, a guy's sick. Everybody wants these guys to be these superhuman warrior creatures. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're human. If Especially at that position. I mean... People are, you know, they're saying things like, this guy played hurt, this guy played with that, this guy played with the other thing. Like, we're all big-time heroes until we're in bed with a fever of 104 and we're throwing up all day, right? And we got the shakes and we can't do anything. Like, everybody's a hero till they get hit with that. Everybody's a hero till they get hit with an illness. And we've all been there. We've all been there. I mean, I had some people telling me, oh, you know, men don't get sick. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, it happens. It's unfortunate. The timing is absolutely fucking brutal. But that said, if if Tuka Rask wasn't going to have energy and was going to be throwing up, I mean, do you really want him in net? Honestly, do you really want that guy st- stopping pucks or trying to stop pucks for you in a must-win game? No, you can't. You can't have it happen. It's, again, it's unfortunate. It's terrible timing, but you can't have him in net if he's like that. So you got to go with Gustafsson. But even with Gustafson, I mean, that game probably should have been 10 to 1. Gustafson saved their ass early on a couple times because the defense was so bad. McQuaid, remember he turns the puck over at, at the offensive blue line trying to go D to D after a faceoff win? Oh, picked off right up the middle. I mean, how many times have we seen that this year? Too many times. The Bruins defense is horrible, and that's the story of the game on Saturday. That's why they're not in the playoffs. They had a chance if they won that game because Detroit lost. The Bruins would be the three seed. They would be the three seed. And they would be in the tournament. Because they would be playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. By the way, a banged up Tampa Bay Lightning team in the first round. Uh, But they still had a chance because the Flyers 
had two games left, and if the Flyers only got one point in their final two games, the Bruins would have got in, even though they lost that game. But the Flyers, well, they, they, they wrapped up the Bruins' season real quick on Saturday, just a couple hours after the Bruins lost to Ottawa. The Flyers beat the Penguins 3-1. to one. And you could, I, I said it on, on the show Saturday. Uh, Wayne Bleepin' Simmons. I mean, he was all over the place, buzzing for the Flyers their last couple games, and, and he single-handedly, you know, really sealed the deal on the Bruins' uh, playoff hopes. So the Flyers, they are in, and as the final wildcard spot, they're going to play the Washington Capitals in the first round. The Stanley Cup playoffs begin on Wednesday night. Uh, tomorrow, uh, maybe, you know what, Wednesday what I'll try to do is is give you some predictions with the teams that we have. We'll go over the brackets, go over the, the matchups, and, and, and I'll try to predict who will ho- hoist La Coupe Stanley when it is all said and done. But the Bruins will not be one of those teams today. It's getaway day for them. So as I'm on Twitter this morning getting ready for the show, big day. We're recording early today because Red Sox, home opener. And then tonight, I'm back on WEI, 10 to midnight. So we'll be talking about it all. But uh, as I'm on Twitter and I'm reading some of the things coming out of the TD Garden because the Bruins have getaway day and the reporters are in there talking to the players, what's interesting about it is, as of right now at least, there's nothing scheduled as of this morning. There's nothing scheduled with coach, Claude Julien, or team management, which I guess makes you think that, you know, there's something going on behind the scenes. There's a thought process there, and you shouldn't be surprised because we talked about it all day Saturday. It was talked about yesterday from people. I've been, I'm going to talk about it right now. Really, and I don't even think it is the elephant in the room because everybody's asking about changes. It's Claude Julien. With this team now, this Bruins team, for two straight years not getting into the postseason, what does it mean for the coach? And I told you I've been very vocal how I feel about Claude Julien. I do not think he deserves to lose his job, even though they're missing out in the playoffs for the for the second straight year, I don't think it's Claude's fault. I just don't think it's Claude Julien's fault. I have not always been a Claude Julien guy, but, you know, when you win a Stanley Cup, when you take the team to another Cup final, when you become the all-time winningest coach in the franchise's history this season, you're doing something right. I'm sorry. You're doing something right. And, uh, while he's doing something right, even though the team doesn't go in the playoffs for the second straight year, I do not think it's his fault. It's upper management's fault. It's Don Sweeney, Cam Neely, the Jacobs family. Because you go back to the trade deadline, you know my theory. The, the ownership was calling the shots at the trade deadline. They were not going to trade Louis Erickson for draft picks because that would mean they would become worse and the chances of making the playoffs would be even worse. And they want it. They want to get in the playoffs. They do not want to miss the playoffs for two straight years because it's about money. It's about losing money if you miss the playoffs for two straight years. Now, obviously, we know they're missing out, but that was not their plan. They made moves at the deadline, bringing in John Michael Lyles, a veteran defenseman, bringing in Lee Stepniak, a veteran forward, to keep, and also keeping Louie. They did those things. They didn't become sellers at any point, and they didn't. but they didn't necessarily buy because it's just, you, you, what were you going to get that this team needs? They need a top defenseman. Lyles, well, not really that when it comes to actually playing defense. He, he moves the puck. You know, I like the plays that he makes, the hesitation. He doesn't force it up the half wall like guys uh, like McQuaid and Kevin Miller do. But at the same time, you know, you look at John Michael Lyles. I didn't see him as a guy that was going to take this team and get him over the hump defensively. And certainly, you know, that, you know, that wasn't the case. So he wasn't able to, to get him over the hump. And But you go to the trade deadline strategy from the Bruins, and it was all this was was ownership wanting to make the playoff money, right? And, and now, this is in hindsight. I was saying it then. I was saying it going into the deadline. I said, you got to trade, Louie. You, you should even consider trading someone like Zidane Chara, as big of a Chara fan that I've been, as I've been in the past. You got to consider it. Get some of the young kids to let them play. You're going to go through a rebuild, even if it's going to be a soft rebuild. Well, speed the process up by admitting internally right now this year that you don't have a chance to win a championship this season, okay? And 
All right, you're going to miss the playoffs the second straight year? Definitely, if you trade Louis, you trade someone like Chara? All right, but that's being realistic with yourself. And that is actually speeding up the rebuild and helping out guys like Bergeron, helping out guys like Krejci, Mashin, Tuka. I mean, you know, the, the deadline strategy was all about ownership. But get away from the deadline strategy for a minute. Go back to this past offseason. Go back to the offseason before that. And look at the team's current issues right now. It's, it's clear as day. It's, you, you shouldn't even need me to keep coming on here and telling you what the Bruins' issues are. Defense, defense, defense. This team cannot play defense. It's not offense. They, they were top five in the NHL in goals in the regular season. What else do you want? It's defense. And you saw that on Saturday. But it wasn't just Saturday. And it wasn't just this final stretch of 15 games or whatever it was. It was the entire year. This goes back to the, you know, opening night, puck drop, how bad this team's defense was. How often, all season long, they were playing guys like Trotman, Kevin Miller, Adam McQuaid. I mean, Adam McQuaid was the first guy they fucking re-signed last offseason. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I know you like his toughness, but come on. Like, what are we doing here? And... You traded Dougie Hamilton for draft picks. He's a top four defenseman. Dougie Hamilton was a top pair defenseman on this team. Not just top four. Top two. Top pair. Johnny Boychuk. Top four defenseman. At times, he was a top pair defenseman. You traded him two years ago for draft picks. Claude Julien's a defensive coach. You're taking away his defenseman. And you're replacing him with who? Minor league defenseman. That's not going to work out for you. That's not going to work out for you. And... That's the problem. That's the problem. The analogy I've used is that, you know, I go back to Bill Parcells. I've been using this for the last couple of weeks now. And maybe you're sick and tired of hearing about it. But since it's now officially over and people are questioning what's going to happen with Claude, and, and my prediction is that he does get fired because I'm pretty sure this organization, just judging what I see from them, what they say, uh, you know, how they act, I, I don't think they want Claude as the coach of this team. I go back, I don't. You know, this past offseason, I didn't think they wanted that. And and I think that was evident when Don Sweeney's introductory press conference as GM, when he would not fully commit to Claude as the coach. A guy who was under contract, the guy who was about to become and ended up becoming the all-time winningest coach in the franchise history. And just an awkward ceremony late in the season for him before a game, right? Just an awkward ceremony. It's so awkward. Especially now when you think back on it. I mean, I said it was awkward at the time. It's even more awkward now when you think about it. Um, but I don't think that they're going to bring him back. I, I think they'll be wrong for that, but I think they have a plan in mind, and, and I think that's part of their plan, to, to bring their guy in behind the bench. But this has not been Claude Julien's fault. That's why I think it would be the wrong move. Because this front office has taken away Claude's defenseman. He's taken away his strength, which is defense. And, and the analogy I used is going back to, to Bill Parcells saying, hey, if you want me to cook the dinner, at least let me shop for the groceries. Now, I'm not sitting there asking Claude Julien to become the GM. But what I am saying is the front office and the coach should at least be on the same page with some of the moves they make. And if Claude Julien's known as a defensive guy, and if he's won with defense his entire career, which he has, then if he's going to cook the dinner, you should at least be providing him the proper groceries to make the meal that he knows how to cook and does a great job cooking it. Instead, you've provided him with groceries for a meal that he doesn't really like to cook. And in fact, even if he did like to cook, he wouldn't be able to cook it with some of the groceries you're giving him. You're just not, you're not giving him the right pieces. And because of that, they lose again and Claude's probably going to have to find a new kitchen. But it's not Claude's fault. It's on Don Sweeney. It's on Cam Neely. And you know what's funny? I love how people are coming out saying, well, Cam Neely might be on a short leash. Don Sweeney might be on a short leash. No, they're not. They're not on a short leash. This is about the Jacobs family. You saw it at the deadline. Come on. Uh, the Bruins, they have defensive issues, and they got to fix it. And, and the coach isn't the issue, but you know how this thing works. You know how pro sports work. Changes, if you need to make them, the easiest thing to do is get rid of the coach. It's unfortunate, 
Look, coaches get too much credit and too much of the blame. I will always say that every sport, coaches, managers, you name it. Too much credit, too much of the blame. It's true. It's true. And, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that that the only reason the Bruins won a cup was because Claude Julien, but when you do have a guy whose system is in place, whether players like the guy or not, his system was working out. But they were working out with the right defensive talent. They just don't have the defensive horses anymore. And and it's not Clo- that's not Claude's fault. That's not Claude's fault. So this is a situation where you'll see him getting too much of the blame. And he's going to be gone. That's my prediction. I, 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 again, I cannot get over when Don Sweeney was announced as the team's GM. A Don Sweeney who was already in the organization. Like, I've told you a million times, it's one thing if Don Sweeney came from another organization, like if he was in, let's say, like Dallas for five years, and they brought him back to Boston to be the GM, and he has an introductory press conference, and he's asked about the coach, and the coach is on a contract, and they don't make the playoffs the previous year. Don Sweeney, I would expect him to say, and in fact, if I was in Don Sweeney's shoes, if that was the situation, coming from another organization, I would expect him to say... Well, guess what? He's the coach right now, but I need some time to have some meetings, to talk to some people, to go over what I think this coaching staff should look like. I can't commit right now because I have to, you know, I need to do my due diligence. I'm the new guy in town. I need to look at this roster. I need to look at this system. I need to see if this is what I want. But give me some time here. It just showed up today for a press conference. You know, that's, if you're coming from another organization, that is a proper response. That's a great response. That's, that's an expected response. Don Sweeney did not come from another organization. Him and Cam Neely have been in cahoots now for a couple years. They've talked about the coach before, people. Before that press conference. They've talked about what their strategy is going to be moving forward. Right? What their philosophy is. So when they named Don Sweeney the GM... In reality, they just got rid of Shirelli and, and, and they just slid themselves in position of, of, of a little bit more power when it comes to making the actual decisions on the roster in the offseason or at the trade deadline or during the season. And when you slide into that spot, you're not coming from another organization. So when you asked about the coach, I mean, I think you should have an answer for that. That's better than, well, he's the coach right now, but we're going to have to see what happens. I mean, wh- what do you mean? You've had, you've had two years to think about this. And, by the way, he's under contract. So what that said to me was they don't want him. But the problem for someone like Don Sweeney in that position was, well, it's probably a very bad public relations move for me to step in and get rid of the coach who only missed the playoffs once, won us a cup, brought us to another cup final, and, by the way, is about to become the all-time winningest coach in Bruins history. Like, that's a bad PR move to, to get rid of Claude because his resume was pretty damn good. It still is. And uh, what's funny about it, at the end of last, I remember the end of last year, like the, the final game, Claude Julien standing in the hallway. You know, he holds the microphone after games and Jack Edwards and Brick, they talk to him. Like, they do the split-screen video. And, and Jack Edwards, you know, he had to ask the question. He did about Claude. What does he think about his future? And, and Claude, this was last year after the final game. And Claude was very, like, he came out and it was great. And he said, well, you know what? My resume speaks for itself. Uh, I've been here. I won a cup. I went to the cup finals. This is the first time I'm missing the playoffs as coach of this team. So, I, I mean, he pointed it out. Like, good for him. I applauded him. I applauded Claude Julien. That was good. That was great. I have become a member of Team Claude. I was not always here, folks. I wasn't. I was I was all about getting that offensive stud, getting the 45-goal score. I mean, go out and get that superstar offensive player um, to put the puck in the net at will. Forget about defensive hockey. I, Claude proved me wrong. I bought in. I bought in to the big, bad Bruins, big defense. You know, you win defense. Good defense turns into offense. You can do that. You can win. You can win a cup. You can get to another cup final. If you played some defense in that cup final against Chicago, maybe you would have won another one. You know? And uh, then along the way, you had some bad luck with some bad injuries that, that, that hurt you in a couple other playoffs. So, I mean, Claude, I think his resume speaks for itself. 
He's done his job. Claude Julien, like, when you bring a coach to your organization, like, take away the name, take away the face, say Coach X on Team Y. Coach X did this for Team Y. You know what you would say to that? You'd say, wow, that's a pretty great, those are some pretty great accomplishments. He must still be the coach of of Team Y. Coach X must still be the coach of Team Y, right? (laughs) Then when you put the the face, the name, and the guys who are calling the shots, and maybe some of the reasoning for them calling the shots, no, he's he's probably not going to be the coach. Coach X is no longer going to be the coach of Team Y. Team Y is going to be looking for Coach Z. And to be quite honest with you, Coach Z equals question mark. Because <laughs> I don't know. I hear people saying they want Milbury if they make this move. I, what, are we go- what are we going back in time? What are we doing here? What do, why, would we, why would you do that? Why the fuck would you want Mike Milbury as the coach of the Boston Bruins? I have no idea. I have no idea. You thought players didn't like Claude? In 2016? You thought players didn't like Claude Julien in 2016? <laughs> uh, you know what? Bring Milbury in. And let's get that book. Uh, th- that would That's like, you know what that seems like to me? That's like Bobby Valentine all over again. It just seems like Bobby V. That's what that, that's what that feels like to me. If you brought Milbury in. I don't want any part of that. But it would be entertaining because I think you would hear some crazy stories about guys just hating his guts in that room. I do. And, uh, but but unfortunately, that's the conversation we have with this team about the coach. And I say unfortunate because I do not think Claude deserves to lose his job. But one, that's the way the business is. It's the easiest move to make for a team looking to make some changes. And the Bruins are looking to make changes. But, you know, not just that. It's very clear that this front office does not want Claude to be their coach. And um, now I think they could probably justify it publicly a little bit more when they say, well, when you miss the playoffs two straight years, changes need to be made. And as I mentioned, sometimes the easiest change to make is getting rid of the coach. Uh, Because we know it obviously isn't going to be easy to get a top four defenseman. (laughs) If it was, you would have got one at the deadline and you would have probably got in the playoffs and we wouldn't be having this conversation yet. I think the front office has really screwed some things up. And, and I got some calls over the weekend asking, well, what's, what's their strategy? What's their game plan? And I said to people, I, I, here's the scary part about it, is that I don't think they know what the game plan is. I think they might want to do some things, but I don't think they can. Because sometimes I look at Don Sweeney and some of the things he's done, and I think, does he even know what the fuck he's doing? I have no idea. It's not an easy spot to be in. And it's like him and Neely, okay, they're the, we'll call them the GMs. We'll call Neely and Sweeney the GMs. What, they're going to be good GMs because they played the game? Uh-uh. No. <laughs> that, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. People forget sometimes that Peter Shirelli was a very bright individual, okay? And I'm not trying to sit here and say Sweeney and Neely are idiots, but they certainly do not have the IQ that Shirelli had. They don't. I mean, that's a fact, right? And I think it takes a little bit more than NHL experience. I actually think it takes a lot more than NHL experience. I don't even think NHL experience factors into being a GM in the National Hockey League or in any sport, right? So this idea that because Sweeney and Neely played the game and they played for this organization, they're going to make all the right moves and they're going to be great for this team is just, it's a, that's a ludicrous comment. I don't, I don't buy into that. So I think it remains to be seen that Sweeney and Neely, yeah, they might have a plan. I don't know what that plan is. I don't. Maybe they don't have one, but let's say they do. They got to then execute their plan, which brings us back to do they know what they're doing? I, I don't think we have an answer to that question yet, which is a scary thing. But any GM will probably tell you if you do want changes, the easiest move to make is to get rid of the coach. And by the looks of it, this is just my opinion. Because I haven't heard anything official yet. Maybe that changes by the time you listen to this podcast. I'm recording this on Monday morning. Uh, maybe Claude, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, wait. we'll just wait for some news. But my, my, my prediction is that he's gone. That's my prediction. So we'll keep an eye on it. 
and I will react to whatever happens with the Bruins. They are eliminated. They are not going to playoffs for the second straight year. Getaway day today at the Garden. Stanley Cup playoffs begin Wednesday night. I'll get into more of that and some of the matchups and even make La Coupe Stanley some predictions there on Wednesday's podcast. Getting away from the NHL, though. Uh, the NBA playoffs are beginning soon, and if you're keeping your eye on the standings with the Celtics here locally, Celtics are the fourth seed right now. They lost to Atlanta over the weekend in Atlanta. This game was close until late, and Atlanta pulled away, but the Hawks now have 48 wins. The Celtics have 47. Uh, the Hawks are the three seed in the East. The Celtics, the four seed. The Heat, the five seed. The Charlotte Hornets are the six seed. Now, the Celtics have two games left in the regular season. Those games are at home against Charlotte tonight and then at home against Miami on Wednesday night. And those are the two teams now that they're battling, you know, for, you could say, what? I guess the three seed still, but maybe more likely right now, the four seed. And if you get the four or the five if you're the Celtics, well... You'll be playing Cleveland in the second round if you can win that first round series. That that that's a real thing because it's set brackets in the NBA, and you, Cleveland, the one seed, they'll be playing. It looks like either Detroit or Indiana. Indiana's clinched the final spot in the East. Chicago has officially been eliminated. Chicago Bulls. I don't know what's going on with them, but now that they've been eliminated, they're going to New Orleans for a game. Jimmy Butler is not flying with the team. He's going to meet the team there. You know, you hope it's nothing serious that he's got going on on the side in his personal life. I don't know, but the way it's being reported is kind of shady. The way it's being reported, at least, is making it look like, you know, he's just screwing the team, it doesn't get along with guys, and he's going to fly himself. Uh, that could be – keep an eye on what's going on in Chicago, especially this offseason, but they are not going to playoffs. We know all eight teams in the East in the NBA playoffs. Cleveland right now is one. They would play Detroit if the playoffs began today, and the winner of that series would play the winner of the four versus the five. And right now, the Celtics are the four, and Miami is the five. So I'll keep an eye on the Celtics in the Western Conference. So the big NBA story is Golden State. They tie the Chicago Bulls' 1995-96 regular season win record. Last night, Golden State went into San Antonio, and they beat the Spurs, giving the Spurs their first loss at home this season. It gives Golden State 72 wins, and now Golden State has one more game left Wednesday night at Golden State against the Memphis Grizzlies, and Memphis gave them a game the other night. Gave them a game the other night. I'm sure they'll give them a game again Wednesday night, but right now, Golden State, I'll be rooting for Golden State to get this record. I will. I'll be rooting for him to get the record. Go get it. You can, see, you can tell after these games, they want it so bad, too. They want it. They want this record. You got one more win. I expect Golden State to win it, get to 73, and set the new regular season uh, win record, so uh, we'll keep an eye on that, and, you know, I guess going to another sport here that's going on right now, Major League Baseball, as I mentioned, today's opening day, the Red Sox took two of three in Toronto over the weekend, just a couple things to point out, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, because I want to get to my thoughts on what happened at Augusta yesterday, which, what happened at Augusta yesterday is the biggest national story, but, uh, you know, I love the Red Sox. I'm all in on the season. We've had major concerns about the pitchers who are not named David Price. Now, I thought Price should have been starting yesterday. That's just the way I feel because I do think that this is a marketing move to, to put Price on opening day at Fenway when you have the opportunity with that third Cleveland game getting rained out. They pushed everybody back, and they stuck with Stephen Wright in that game yesterday. I told you, I, I don't think there's any situation in which you push back your ace, your number one starter, when he's scheduled to go on normal rest. You don't push back that starter for a knuckleballer who's your fifth starter, who realistically shouldn't even be your fifth starter, should is your sixth starter. The only reason Steven Wright's in the rotation is because Eduardo Rodriguez is hurt. In, in, in no world of reality do you bump back your ace and give him an extra day's rest to get your fifth starter essential sixth starter knuckleballer in a game on the road in a hostile environment in Toronto you don't do that now they pitched 
Stephen Wright. He pitched very well. The Red Sox ended up losing the game. I don't think because of Stephen Wright, but mainly because the Red Sox offense couldn't do anything yesterday against Marco Estrada and his nasty changeup. Just a nasty changeup. And, you know, Red Sox offense couldn't do anything. Uh, But the previous two games, the Red Sox won, and they really, you know, they didn't pitch very well. Joe Kelly on Friday night in Toronto. And I tweeted some things out about Joe Kelly. And, and you know, the problem with Twitter, here's the problem with Twitter. It's great because everybody has a say and can give their opinion and you can reach out to, um, you know, like I can reach out to, I mean, I can tweet athletes and they can read them and they can see it and they can respond if they want. Everybody can, can have a take and an opinion. That's what's great about it. The bad part about it is when you do have an opinion and you send it out there in 140 characters, it's 140 characters, so some things can be taken out of context. And, and it's tough to explain yourself after the fact, when it is taken out of context. Like, I tweeted something about Joe Kelly Friday night, because if you didn't see what happened in that game, the Red Sox came back and they won it. But Joe Kelly, his first three innings were great. They were great. And then the fourth inning, he blew it. I mean, he was all over the place. And then he hit uh, Pala in the head with a pitch, brought in a run, and then he just... You know, a hanging slider, which is an absolute meatball to Donaldson. He put it in the seats, and that was a grand slam, and that was it for Joe Kelly. Uh, and what I had tweeted was, this was before the fourth inning, I had tweeted that, you know, in the first three innings of this game, I was very impressed with what Joe Kelly was doing because his strategy was completely different from what we saw last year when Joe Kelly struggled. Now, last year, Joe Kelly was very good at the end of the season. But my theory on that has always been there was no pressure on Joe Kelly at the end of the season because nobody was watching the Red Sox at the end of the season. Everybody was, the season was over. There was no pressure on him. We, even if Joe Kelly got lit up at the end of the season, we weren't even going to blink an eye because this, the, the Red Sox season was over last year. They were in last place. There was no shot. And we were all focused on Deflategate, if you can recall, last year at the end of the regular season of Major League Baseball. Deflategate was a major story. So there was no pressure on Joe Kelly. And the one knock I have on him is, and I had it at the beginning of the year when he sucked, and the first half of the year when he sucked, I said, this looks like someone to me that cannot handle the pressure of playing in Boston, knowing that every little mistake that he makes is going to continue to snowball, and the more it snowballs, the more we get on top of him, and the more we get on top of him, the more pressure he puts on himself to get out of any type of jam that he's in, and I don't think at that point he can handle it and make good pitches. He's getting away. He gets away from, from what he can do. And when he struggled, during those times of struggle last year, at no point did I see three innings like he pitched against Toronto Friday night in the first three. That's my point. That, that last year, if you can recall, his issue was, all right, he throws 96, 97, sometimes could dial it up to 98. But he started taking something off his fastball, and and I'm going, wait a minute, what? Do you know how many players and pitches in Major League Baseball would love to be able to throw 97 with movement? Like, do you know how many, with a nasty slider, like, do you know how many people? Because you start throwing 96, 97, all of a sudden, your slider is even more filthy, you know? If you don't hang it like you did to Donaldson in, in that fourth inning. But... What Kelly did was, in the first three innings, he was letting it ride. He was letting that fastball ride. It seemed to me like there was no more strategy of, okay, I'm going to take something off my fastball so I can locate more. Hey, location wasn't always there for him, but it made some of his secondary pitches that much more effective, and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. And and I thought he was, I thought he was very good in that first three innings. He impressed me, and people said, well, this is the deal with Joe Kelly. They were tweeting me. You know, he has three good innings, and then he'll have that stinker in the fourth. And I say, well, yeah, I get what you're saying, and I'm with you. And believe me, I'm still going to crush Joe Kelly. Like, I crushed him for that fourth inning. It was terrible, right? And that was much of the same from what we saw last year. You start feeling some pressure. All of a sudden, you're not throwing uh, your breaking stuff in hitters counts, and, and now you start trying to nibble the strike zone, and that's where you're leaving stuff over the plate like you did to Donaldson. That was bad. That was the old Joe, old Joe Kelly. And people say, well, this is the same thing. Is it, you know, he's the same Joe Kelly. And I say, well, eh, 
the first three innings of success that he had against Toronto, that was a different type of success that he had last year. Like, he wasn't doing that when he was struggling. He wasn't looking that good. He wasn't. And, um, and he got a little bad luck at the beginning of that fourth inning, too, to go along with it. But, but you know, I just I look at the first three innings, and I thought it was different. It was a different type of success that Kelly had than when he had success last year. I do. I think it, it was like it felt like the St. Louis Cardinals Joe Kelly to me. That's what that felt like. But then, of course, you get the fourth inning. Make no mistake about it. We're all still on the same page as Joe Kelly. We're all still on the same page with Joe Kelly. Like, I, I'm still going to crush him. Still going to crush him. And if you come out and have an inning like that in the fourth, you deserve to be crushed. People trying to <laughs> trying to tell me, oh, you, this, you know, he still, he still sucks. Well, the first three were good. Yeah, the fourth is bad. And I'm going to crush him for the fourth inning. I, I'm with you. We're on the same page. People trying to argue with me. I'm not, I'm not arguing. And then you get Porcello. Well, the Red Sox end up winning that game. Porcello the next day on Saturday. Because Saturday was a crazy day. I'm watching the Bruins. We're flipping back and forth. You know, I go into the studio early. And we got a couple TVs. But before I went into the studio, like I got, I only had one TV. So I'm flipping back and forth. And it was perfect timing. You know, first intermission. You put the Red Sox on. And, you know, you saw a couple things before then. Like Porcello just hung just two breaking balls to Bautista. Bautista hit two home runs off Porcello. Every, here's Porcello's problem. People keep trying to tell me and tell us that he's this big sinker ball pitcher. Everything that he throws is up in the zone. Everything that he throws is up in the zone. And the two breaking balls he threw to Bautista? Come on. You think he's not going to hit those out of the ballpark? I mean, he hits those out. You give him that pitch 20 times, he hits it out every single time. Meatball City. It's similar to the breaking ball that, that Kelly threw to Donaldson in the fourth inning the night before. Or I tweeted out, here's a brilliant idea. Let's throw some breaking balls right over the middle of the plate. Let's start hanging breaking balls to Donaldson and Batista all weekend long in Toronto. That's a great, sounds like a great idea. Uh, and Batista made him pay. Made Porcello pay twice in that game. So Porcello had his issues early. He did settle down. But as, you, as you're flipping back and forth from the Bruins to the Red Sox, you flip, and at the end of the first intermission, you go, Pablo Sandoval's up. He swings and misses a pitch, and his fucking belt breaks. I mean, his belt breaks, snaps. The guy's too fat, his belt doesn't fit, and when it does fit, when he swings, it's going to rip because he's a slob. And it's, it's just, it's per- it was perfect. I mean, it really sums up Pablo Sandoval's season. He's had an, it's been awful for him. And even when he comes in and spots and even pinch hits, he's missing hit and runs. You know, he made a throwing error already. It's, uh, his belt's breaking. It's a, it's a bad look for Pablo Sandoval right now. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And he's certainly not in the lineup today for opening day. But uh, that's, the Red Sox end up coming back, winning that game as well. And then they lose the one yesterday. But one thing I got to point out about this Red Sox team, that really does jump off the screen, which is a great thing is that credit where credit is due to Hanley Ramirez. He's, pl- he's playing out of his mind. He's locked in. He's taking the ball the other way. He seems to be sort of re-energized by maybe some of the younger kids who are producing on this team. Um, you know, seeing someone like Mookie Betts, Xander Bogots, you know, hitting one and three in the lineup. You know, David Ortiz swinging a nice bat right now. I mean, you got... What you're getting from Hanley Ramirez at the plate really was was a concern to me because I didn't know how much offense this kid had. This kid, I mean, he's not a kid anymore. He's 32. I, I was very concerned about it, seeing his offense last year and, and what he was going to be at the plate. Sure, the concerns with first base, he's been good there too. It's a 162-game season. I still think there's going to be some situations in which, you know, Hanley might not make the right decision. But guess what? The one thing I've always said about Hanley Ramirez, and I said this last year when he was in the outfield and and not wanting him in the outfield, I said, if he can produce at the plate the way he produced at the plate, you know, three, four years ago, then he can make us forget about some of those defensive issues. And And you know what? He's not having defensive issues right now. But if he was, I do think that the things he's doing at the plate would would make us accept his defensive issues a little bit more because right now Hanley Ramirez is absolutely locked in. He's locked in, and 
It's a great sign, and it really is huge for this team and this Red Sox offense, and it seems to be the identity right now of a team that is relentless. Like, they, uh, this offense is relentless, top to bottom, and that's a great sign in the early stages, especially for a team that has some major question marks with basically, you know, four of their five starters. And um, right now, yeah, things look good. You have your concerns with the rotation still, but not today. David Price on the mound. I don't. Is this a guarantee? Lock of the week. Baltimore, the only undefeated team left in the major leagues. Gallardo's a good pitcher, but I expect Price to, to dominate today because if you look at David Price at Fenway in his career, how about these numbers for David Price at Fenway in his career? Price is six and one with a 1.86 ERA and 11 career starts at Fenway. Six and one with a 1.86 ERA. He loves Fenway. He loves this place. And he had a nice home opener in Cleveland. The weather's going to be a little warmer today. Uh, it was raining this morning. Looks like it's it's clearing up. I mean, it's cloudy here in Boston, but I don't know that they're expecting any rain the rest of the day. I did see a forecast in which maybe there's some wind later on, and, and I don't know if which way the wind's going to be blowing. Is it blowing in, blowing out? Who knows? But David Price... I expect him to step on the mound this afternoon at 205 and give the Red Sox exactly what he seemingly likes to do, which is dominate at Fenway again, six and one with a 1.86 ERA and 11 starts in Boston. Uh, Gallardo he pitched five innings, allowing just one run in a win over the Twins in his debut this season, and. Uh, so I'll react to this opening day of Fenway on tomorrow's podcast. That's what you got in Major League Baseball. I will take the Red Sox today to give the Orioles their first loss of the season. And finally, the biggest national story, as I told you, in the world of sports is what happened yesterday at Augusta National. The Masters. Danny Willett is the champion, gets the green jacket. He was the winner at five under. And, I mean, he played, look, he played well. Willett played well. But (laughs) Jordan Spieth completely collapsed in this one. And it really started before the 12th hole. Because Spieth, he had birdied 6, 7, 8, and 9. And he goes to the back 9. Bogey on 10. Bogey on 11. And then you get to 12. He put it in the water not once. He put it in the water twice. Then he takes it out of the water the second time. He puts it over the green into the sand, onto the beach. Spieth shot a seven on a par three on the 12th hole. And that was just, I mean, that was devastating. You feel horrible for the kid. He ended up, give give him credit. He battled back. After that seven, he birdied par 5-13. He pawed 14. He birdied a par 5-15. Uh, he pod 16, but then he, you know, he, he had a bad one on 17 bogey on a pod four 17, uh, pod 18. It didn't matter by then though. This one was over after he, uh, did not hit a birdie on 17 and then he didn't even get pa. He got a bogey on 17. It was over at that point. And you know, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, not only do you feel terrible for Jordan speed because he completely had a meltdown on the 12th hole. But you feel bad for him because he's the defending Masters champion, which means he's the guy that needs to put the green jacket on the new champion. I mean, how you? Th- I'm sitting there going, how awkward is this going to be? And uh, it was pretty awkward. I mean, it lived up to the hype of the awkwardness. <laughs> Speed putting the green jacket on the new champ. And he didn't just have to do it once. He did it twice. He had to do it twice. They go down into that little room, you know, the the made-for-TV moment where they bring in uh, the amateur champ, I guess you could say, Bryson DeChambeau, whatever his fucking name is with the scally cap. They have, obviously, the champ, Danny Willett. Yeah, Billy Payne, Jim Nance. Jim, ever since I heard that Ty story, I just can't look at Jim Nance the same way. Like, I just now, he's like extra creepy to me, right? He's giving out his tie. I mean, he's always been a little creepy with, with the way, but it, but it was, it was like enjoyable creepy. Now I'm like, he gives up. He thinks that people want his tie. 
And, like, he makes things about himself now. And I'm looking at him going, this guy's just a major creep. Now it's just creepy in a bad way. Terrible way. I can't look at him the same. Um, But Jim Nance sitting there talking so softly. And then, you know, Billy Payne. And then you got, you got a roll speed that's sitting there with his, with his green jacket on. He's going to put the green jacket on this kid. He got this shambo talking. I am I tell you right now. I and by the way, Speed gets up to put the jacket on. He almost falls over. He was pale white. He w- looked like he was sick to his stomach. I mean, I just felt awful for the kid. Felt awful for him. And, and God bless him, because <laughs> if I was in that room and I had to get, put the green jacket on this kid, not even ju- it's not even just putting the green jacket at that point. It's having to listen to Nance, having to listen, see DeChambeau sitting there with a smirk on his face, right? The preppy asshole that he looks like, and just just knowing that that's that you should have won this tournament if you did not have a collapse on a par three twelve, where you put in the water twice then put in the beach. It's not even putting the green jacket on the the new champ. It's the whole scene to me. Like I, God bless Speed because I would have flipped out in there. Like I would have absolutely, I would have been throwing cheers. I would have been. You know, pushing people. I would have flipped out. I I would have never been able to handle handle that. I, I honestly wouldn't. And people are knocking speed because when he was walking off, you know, he said to the camera, "Not not in the face, not in the face. Don't shoot the face." I mean, that you know, what do you think they're gonna? The cameras are gonna what shoot your neck down? I don't understand. They're gonna get your face when they're shooting you walking off the Masters, especially uh, the way that one ended. Uh, that sounded a little, that was a little over the top, that, that reaction. But at the same time, like if I'm in that spot, I got to give credit where credit's due to speak. Cause if I'm speak in that little room, putting the green jacket on the guy, having to see DeChambeau's face, listen to Jim Nance's soft voice. Look, look next to me at, at Billy Payne. Eh, maybe not Billy Payne. Billy Payne doesn't piss me off as much as maybe the rest of the scene does. You know, seeing the smirk on Willett's face. I'm flipping the fuck out in that room. Like, there's not, I can't sit there. I might not even do it. I'd say, Billy Payne, you got to give this guy the jacket. You know what? It's going to save all of us a whole lot of trouble. Because if I go in that little room and Jim Nance is whispering sweet nothings into the ear of Danny Willett and telling stories and giving out his necktie to DeChambeau, I'm going to hit someone with a fucking chair. All right? Billy Payne, take the coat. Go put it on, Willett. If that's even how you pronounce this dickhead's name, Willett, Willett, I don't even know. He's not supposed to be in this tournament. He was the last one who entered. But anyways, this is on me. I collapsed. This is my jacket. I should be winning back-to-back green jackets, but I had a meltdown. And right now, I can't be in that room with Jimmy Nance, with Tim, with the soft talking. I can't do it. I'm not going to go. Here, take the jacket. Save us a lot of trouble. Save Augusta National a lot of, you know, you don't want people questioning you about a fight in this room. Take it. I'm not doing it. I know it looks bad, but this is going to look a whole lot worse when I hit DeChambeau and Jim Nance with sweet chin music. Okay? When I kick them both right in the fucking jaw. This is going to look even worse. So let's save everybody a whole lot of time. Take the coat, Billy Payne, and toss it on Willett's back. And I'll see you next year. Because I tell you what, if I was speed after that tournament last night, I'd be out on the 12th hole. Just hitting balls because you can't get me to because people are now questioning will speed bounce back. Oh, give me a fucking break. The kid's gonna bounce back. I know he says this one's gonna hurt for a little bit. The kid's gonna bounce back. All right. Have you seen him play? He's bouncing back. Hell, he bounced back at the end of the tournament after that meltdown. Do you know what I'd be doing? What most people would be doing after that type of meltdown on that 12th hole? You're, like, you can see the second green jacket being put on you. All right? You, do you know what most people would do in the, on the 13th hole, the 14th hole, the 15th hole? Do you know what people would do? They'd be set, slicing them right, sending them into the woods, breaking clubs. Did, he birdied two of the next three holes. Like, people say, oh, he's, when's he going to bounce back? If I'm speed, and, and I guarantee you this is his mindset, the only thing that's going to hurt this kid is the, the, the anxious feeling that I'm sure he has in his stomach, which is, if I'm him, you can't get me 
to the 12th hole on the first round of the 2017 Masters quick enough. Like, you can't get me to next year where I'm not just teeing off to begin the tournament. I'm getting to that. I need to get to that 12th hole in the first round on Thursday at Augusta in 2017, and it needs to happen right away. And you can't. you got to wait a whole year playing all these tournaments and all these different courses. So if I'm speed last night after all this shit, I am on that 12th tee. I'm going to the Billy Panamon. Billy, I handled this stuff well today. I didn't hit anybody with a chair, but there's one thing I need, okay? I know it's dark. I know you can't see shit, but I need to go to that 12th tee right now, and I need to tee off, and I need to finish this hole, and I need to play that hole 17 times, 18 times. I need to. I'm playing 12. You going to stop me? The only way is by force because I'm heading there right now with my caddy and my clubs and my and my ball. And I, we are playing that hole, and I am playing it until I can't swing my golf club anymore. All right? Because that is – I'm guarantee you that's the mindset Speed is going to have. You can't get him to the 2017 Masters quick enough so that he can play that 12th hole again on Thursday at Augusta. Can't get him there quick enough. Um, so that's that's how I think Speed is going to handle it. I think it'll be fine. But I would I give him all the credit in the world because you would not see me handle in that situation the way Speed handled it afterwards. And not only that room, but then when you when you have that setting, you got to go up to the 18th green. And you have to have the ceremony up there too, where it's a little dark out and you got the cameras flashing and the lights are going, and you gotta put the jacket on him again. I'd be saying, the G already wearing the jacket, dude. Do you need me up there with you? Alright, you wanna take a picture? We'll take a picture. You really need me to put this jacket back on you again? In fact, if I'm Willet, that's a little awkward for me. I'd be saying, Lay, you don't have to put this on me again, man. I'll put it on myself. I understand. This is tough for you. You know, I'm thrilled to have won this, and I hope you can understand that, but you don't got to put it on me again. Like, that's just too much. You got to put it on him again. He already put it on him. Oh, man. He handled it so much better than I would have handled it. I'd be out of the sport. <laughs> I, I'd be done. I did. You know what? I'd be in court. We'd be in court today. Deshambo, his family, they'd be suing my ass right now. That's what they'd be doing. Uh, I'd be so, I'd be out of Augusta National. I'd be banned from the Masters so quick. I'd be banned from the PGA. I would never be playing golf again. If I did, it would have to be some make-believe mini golf course in prison because I would be just crucifying people in that room, that little room. That, that room is awkward anyways. Oh man. I just, I, God bless Pete for, for not flipping out in that room. He almost fell over. Almost tripped over the chair standing up. Oh, man. I feel for the kid. I feel for him. God bless him, though. So that's what we had this weekend. And uh, it's going to be a busy week as the Red Sox are home. And we get the Stanley Cup playoffs started. And we wrap up the NBA regular season. And keep an eye on Jordan Spieth's well-being here as he tries to bounce back. I, I mean, I'll probably assume that. He'll take a couple weeks off, but he'll be back. He, Speed is going to win something. One other tournament. Might not be a major. He's going to win something, though, this year. And he'll be in the mix for, for maybe a major or two at the end. But uh, when that happens, we'll react to it. I'm here five days a week. Subscribe, dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard on Facebook, Facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Also on Instagram at Danny Picard. And before I go, I got to remind you, with opening day today at Fenway, and if you're going to one of these games on this homestand because you got Baltimore now in town, then you got Toronto coming to town, the David Ortiz farewell tour, it begins. I mean, tomorrow night they're giving out those nice little 500 chains, right, for David Ortiz. Those things are sweet. Uh, What you're going to want to do if you're going to one of these games on this homestand or at any point during the season, you're going to want to wear a David Ortiz farewell tour t-shirt, right? And the best David Ortiz farewell tour t-shirt you can find is right here at Beantown Athletic. Swing by the shop, 132 Granite Ave in Dorchester, or give them a call. Tell them to put one aside for your 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Or go to beantownathletics.com. Send them a message. Tell them you want a t-shirt. 
and uh, they'll either send it to you or you can come by the shop in Dorchester and pick it up. Has a picture of David Ortiz in front on the back. Has number 34 and above the 34, instead of his name, it says thank you. This is a t-shirt that you're going to want to wear if you're going to Fenway. And even if you're not, you're going to want to wear out in the street or at home watching a game. It's a sweet t-shirt, and it's a one-of-a-kind here at Bean Town Athletics. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.